Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. Headquarters of the future capital of the free thinking states of America known as Los Angeles. This is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again as champion jujitsu fighter and podcaster Nick Gregory Addis joins us for a fascinating conversation, including growing up in pre apartheid South Africa. Amazing moments that make you realize that if this can happen, anything can happen. Mixtapes. Balance, energy shifts, and Bolelli's cautionary tale of mushroom therapy gone bad that leads him to seven hours of swimming in an ocean of fear. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 63 of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Unbelievable. Here we are back with another big chunk. It's interview time tonight, but without this guy, we wouldn't even have a show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Daniele Bolelli. Huh? Oh, what? Sorry. I was He's just, drinking again. I was too busy staring at my manly bicep, so <sighs> I could not. Sorry. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. Manly. Oh, my God. Look at them. Bicep, Jesus. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm going to lead you again. Daniele Bolelli. Yeah, as we were saying, um, today we have Mr. Nick Gregoriades coming from all over the freaking world. He's talking about a war traveler. So we are going to jump real quick to uh, the chat with him. Before we do that, a couple of quick things. One, um, the Nietzsche shirt are in. Uh, by fantastic. now you should be either have gotten them are getting them somewhere in there there's a couple of people who paid for them made the request never indicated size i replied never received heard again replied never heard again so if you want your shirt please let me know actually what you want that would be nice other than that a couple of quick thank you to the people who keep us in business first and foremost from with us from day one datsusara yeah, that's my, that's my crowd sound there. Popular cheers, uh, women throwing their panties on the stage. A yes, world no longer afraid of micro ninjas. Indeed. Wait. And again, you guys have heard it before, but if you haven't done so already, feel extremely guilty. Go to that Sarab website and check out the entire range of gear that Chris produces because it's amazing. I look like a freaking billboard half of the time. Like today I'm walking in with, let's see, I have a computer bag from that Sarah. I have a thing that's um, what uh, Chris used to refer to as the nasty bag where you throw in for anything from dirty laundry to everything else. I don't think we've given too much love to the nasty bag either. That's a piece of genius. No, so that is. It's a, it's a great, I don't know, polyurethane, some kind of awesome sort of odor-containing bag. No, it's perfect. So your nasty shorts and everything, you just stuff those in the nasty bag so they don't pollute everything else in your big bag of nice clean stuff. It's genius. And it's included. And of course, the thing that everybody will make fun of me forever, but that just a sign that you're a true man, my fanny pack that is what only real men can pull it off because 
you know. You're right. I saw a lot of those in San Francisco. You're right. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's that too, of course. But uh, no, I'm. Uh, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. I like I carry so many things. Like my pockets look like they're about to explode every minute. I never have enough stuff to. Well, you won't listen. The flashlight can stay at home. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, you never know. There That's are true. moments right there during the day. You what know, about our friends at On It? Friends at On It, I've got even more stuff lately. I'm on an On It spree lately, so I'm just downing hemp protein, like my growing feeding addiction to hemp protein. My mom, as I mentioned before, is an alpha brain addict. I'm slightly scared to try, considering the effect it had on her. She's like, alpha brain, give me more. Where is it? Just go to a goddamn podcast and bring me back my alpha brain. And I'm like... Okay, mom, that's sweet. Um, so I'm scared, but yeah. On it.com, the whole, um, we're talking um, today, we actually talk about a strange time warp. We're recording the introduction today to episode 63, while we actually recorded earlier in the day, episode 65, and we had here the glorious Mark Chang with us. Uh, so thinking about kettlebells and some of the stuff he works with on it has a whole range of amazing kettlebells out there. And the cool foods and the supplements. I dose daily on spirulina, clo- um, chlorella, and krill oil. It makes me feel good just to say the names. Yeah, Sound you like seem to be happy to say those names. That was impressive. Yeah, can you believe it? No, and I'm actually, again, I'm in a... Um, oddly good mood lately so i hope it lasts because i'm I'm i wake up happy for no reason which is residuals uh, from that mushroom trip i'm telling you that was the mushroom trip from hell and by the way i doubled down i had that horrendous other trip not on mushroom this time on edibles that was like good god but we won't go there in any case this is a damn introduction what am i doing here? we're lost we are we're totally getting lost so number three sure design t-shirts oh god the wonderful bennett Happy nipples for a happy planet. Indeed. And he just, uh, you know, he sent us these amazing shirts, the the Nietzsche shirts. Uh, we I are think they're the in... best yet. Yeah, I love the Nietzsche shirt. It's awesome. And uh, and it's honestly my image of what a better humanity look like. You have Nietzsche's depth combined with a light-hearted, go to the beach, have a sip of wine, surf some. That's the perfect hour right there. The, um... And I've even gotten over the quote losing. It's okay now. It well, looks good. but they were all good quotes. So I was kind of like, I was neutral. Whichever one of the, we had a referendum on which quote do we put on the back from by Friedrich Nietzsche. And uh, they all got almost identical results. It was down to like one more or less. So it was tricky, but they were all good quotes. So I don't, you know, doesn't matter. Let's save me. the one for the next year's. Can you yeah. believe it's a third shirt already? What the hell? That's nice. And and I was really happy with the way it came out. Savannah did a freaking awesome job with Nietzsche, and uh, it was brilliant. In any case, why don't we just shut up and just get going with the episode and uh, get Mr. Nick Gregory Alison with us, and let's start the conversation. Here we go. Let's start by fucking up the name of the lovely man who came to visit us today. Uh, maybe I can semi-pull it off. Nick Gregoriades? Indeed, that was actually pretty good. Really? Yeah, that was pretty good. Greek origin, the name? Yeah, buddy, my dad is um, he's Greek. 
Uh, okay, so for Greek sounding for good reasons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you grew up in South Africa, right? Yep, I grew up right on the tip of Africa in a little city called Cape Town. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. My dad actually, when he was 19, he interesting. My dad um, was born in Beirut. He grew up in Beirut. His mm-hmm. parents had fled the the Turkish genocide. Right. Um, uh, and they fled to to Beirut. And then when he was 19, he had a cousin who was in South Africa, and he he called him and said, um, "You've got to come check this place out. It's really cool." Which always baffles me because I, I kind of don't think it was a, a cool place to be at that time. <laughs> right. Um, I guess it it could have been good if you're white because you get a lot of privilege. Um, and also maybe compared to genocide, maybe it was yeah. cool. <laughs> and um, he met my mom, and yeah, that was uh, the story. Nice. How, how long um, how long did you live there? When was it that you got out of South Africa? So uh, I love the way you say got out, like it was a place I had to flee. Well, <laughs> you put it in a way that uh, it was like, you know, it was like this place sucks. You didn't quite say it, but there was uh, a vibe there. So. Yeah, the, the, I'm interested that you picked up on. You know, it's interesting that you picked up on that because even though I do, you know, it's my home, and you know, I'm always grateful for. You know, I, I grew up in pretty good circumstances. I couldn't wait to leave, if I'm honest. Like I mm-hmm. wanted to go see the world. As we were discussing before the podcast, I always felt in South Africa that um, the world was going on somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's something that people in small towns feel quite often. Um, and so I think I was 23 when I officially left and I went to London. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just, that was a head fuck of note because it's like going from a tiny little pond to a huge pond. And, right. Uh, You know, I remember when I was in South Africa, I was at a bar once and I, I was about 17 or 18. I hadn't really seen much of the world yet. And I, I was talking to this guy from London and I was I was like, what's it like, man? What's it like? And he was, he said, you know, here you'll see someone with a mohawk walking down the street and everyone will be like, oh my God, did you see that guy? And how weird is that? And he must have been a punk rock or whatever. Right. And he said, when you get to London, after a few days, things like that, you won't even bat an eyelid. Of course. You know, because it's, it's going to be everywhere. And uh I, you know i sometimes think of my friends a lot of my friends have never left south africa and i just wonder like on how much they've missed out on seeing the world you know you um, were about 17 or so when you left no 23 when oh, i left you yeah. visited when you were okay yeah, i got gotcha, you yeah, gotcha. yeah. and then uh, so you were yeah man that's a trip i had the same exact feeling even though i did not grow up in a small town because i you know i was living in milan which is a big fucking place there's mm-hmm. like i don't know like two million people i forget the exact number but it's big you know yeah. it's a lot of people <laughs> And yet I had the exact same feeling of feeling like I'm somewhere in the provinces of the empire yeah. and I'm just there kind of at the outskirts, getting the news from far, far away of what actually is happening exactly. somewhere else. And uh, and this was before the Internet. dude. Think yeah, about that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Where stuff is like, yeah, it's a story that sometimes I tell is like I remember when I, I used to love basketball when I was a kid. And to find out the score of uh, NBA Finals when Julio Serving was playing for Philadelphia 76ers, I had to call the one magazine in Italy that covered basketball. And they had their friends in New York who had called them. So two days later, when I called the magazine, they told me the score. No Otherwise, way. I would have had to wait a month for the monthly magazine to come out with the new. I was like, it's unbelievable. It's like now you tell it to anybody. It's like being the 90 year old guy who said, you know, back in my days, we didn't used to have it. It's like, <laughs> and um, I mean, to bring it back to what we were discussing before we started recording, which is um, we're here in L.A. right now. I grew up. I mean, we had television and comic books and mm-hmm. music i mean all, a lot of that stuff did manage to filter its way down to south africa so i grew up 
with American culture being my number one reference point, yep. you know, and Absolutely. to me, it's so trippy to be not only in the States now, but to be in Los Angeles, dude. Mm-hmm. like this is where it all came from, you yep. know, it was at Universal Studios a couple of years ago, and you do the set tour, and I was looking at all, there was this one set that's like a, it's a neighborhood, mm-hmm. and I was like, fuck, I've been here before, yep. I've been to the, and then I realized, no, dude, these are just the backdrops from all the sitcoms and like, <laughs> yeah. things I've watched when I was growing up, of and course. it's, it's yeah, weird to be, times. you know what I mean, yeah. right, it's, oh, it's it's trippy to be here. Yeah, no, it's, that's one of the things that always, every time when I get annoyed with LA, because I'm like, I could get uh, better, probably, you know, you live much cheaper in most other parts of US, let alone other countries. Uh, there's, you don't have to deal with the uh, hyper annoying traffic of LA. You have, there's so much crap, right? There's a lot of stuff that's not pleasant about living in LA. And yet the fact that, as Rich was saying right before we started, uh, this is where you find everything in the world you find in LA. You know, you find people from every single nation on earth. You find every possible ethnicity. You find, you know, you love in martial arts. You find every martial art known to man will be in LA. Half of the music that you listen to worldwide comes from LA. More than half of the movies you're going to watch worldwide all come from mm-hmm. LA. The writers, po- you know, we're in podcasting, you know, the overwhelming majority of people we know in podcasting, they're all LA based. So it's kind of, there's that sense of uh, really being in the center of this hub mm-hmm. where stuff is happening in a way that's um, it's exciting. There's something exciting about that. There is, I mean, as I, I mentioned earlier, it's an energy that you can tap into. Um, and Rich, Rich pointed it out that it's also... It's built on broken dreams. Sure. And I, I always keep that in the forefront of my mind. Like, there's a lot of people in LA who they might have once been 20, or 20, years, 20 years old and had a huge passion and drive and mm-hmm. energy and young and good looking. And then they get to like 45 and they're like, man, I'm not going to be a rock star. I'm not going to be a yep. sitcom star. And, you know, I think that energy does soak into the city as well. Oh, um, yeah. Which makes it, but, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting place. And, um, as the what is that that Chinese blessing or curse? May you live in interesting times. I guess you could say, may you live in an interesting place. <laughs> right. Well, that's the beauty of it too, though. You get that sort of the broken dreams are one part of it, but the thing that drags the people out here to take that swing, where ninety five percent of their friends won't leave their old home, they're still there. You know, back yeah. in Kentucky or wherever, because they're afraid. Yeah. So it's that collection of people that are willing to take that shot. Yeah. That's a good energy to be around. Plus the fact that the top three hot girls of every high school in America seem to make their way out here that's as well. True. doesn't hurt either. Yeah, either. that's one of the other issues. That I was like, <laughs> anywhere else, I would be like, uh, yeah, I can move to this town. Sorry. Why? Because of complicated intellectual reasons. Yeah, that's exactly why. It's that's like, exactly no, why, as, uh, as the Beach Boys have said, right? California girls, I can... You were talking about non-internet times. It just made me think South Africa, would the apartheid thing have happened differently if the technology had been available? Or was that brewing? I mean, I managed to spend one day in jail. And while I was in there, I was thinking, me and Nelson Mandela, man, only got 28 (laughs) 28 years and 364 days to go, man. This would be no problem. You know, a fight of somebody with that sort of tenacity had to be awesome to be around man because obviously you seem to be a hip cat you knew shit was fucked up growing up i'm sure was it amazing to see a society make an awesome switch like that you know that's such a difficult question to answer rich but i'm i'm gonna try um the switch hasn't been made yet you know what i mean it's still i think it will take generations to filter through but 
um, it is the the history of that country is incredible. It it is you know there are all these these warring tribes and then the the white man came and then a different set of white men came and then those two sets of white men fought and it, it's just then then there was the the Malaysians who came and worked as uh, slaves and then there was an Indian contingent and it's mm-hmm. just it's again it's like a melting pot like you said and um, I think it's it's a fascinating case study uh, for us as a race or like for human beings and how we can all get on and just share the same space and I really hope that it um it gets to the point where race just isn't an issue I mean mm-hmm. I don't know if that'll happen but I guess that's all of our hope for South Africa well, the whole world, really. I mean, we're not too much far ahead either. When you think it's only 150 years ago, we were every bit as terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and countries built on slavery and genocide don't have a lot of uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things to be proud of. But yeah. the, the undoing of things or the, 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 the awakening, I think that's what's exciting about it. It was really an incredible moment. Yeah, it will definitely be generations because people have long memories and hurt feelings stay hurt. But... Isn't it exciting when it starts to go in the right direction? Yeah, I remember I was I was in um, school. Uh, I'd actually just switched schools, so I went. Uh, it was yeah, I just finished the fifth grade, and in I changed to a new school in in sixth grade, and that was the first year that the government um, said schools have to be open, so any person of any color could go. And I still remember sitting um, in our school system, the, the South African school system. It's similar to the British system. You'd have an assembly every Monday morning. And the principal would be up on stage, and he would talk about the things for the week. And, and I remember him. Um, it was weird. It was weird. And I remember sitting around and like there's like a black dude next to me, you know. And this was for the first five years of school. I'd never seen anything like that. Right. And the principal was. Uh, he basically said, "This is a historic day, and and um, you know, I want you to look around, and there might be." people that you haven't seen before and make sure that you i mean you basically was a, a thinly veiled threat like treat these people exceptionally well like there's going to be no bullshit right know? and I, I always found that fascinating and it was cool to be a part of that looking back it was of course yeah and then, you know something I, I just said to my girlfriend the other day about being in the states we were watching a i don't really know much about politics i don't follow it. it's not really an interest of mine but I was watching a speech by Obama, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, like, this guy, regardless of whether you're some Aryan Brotherhood guy or whoever you are and whatever your political beliefs are, you have got to respect this guy. You have got, like, I mean, he is a black man who is the president of a country that had enslaved his people, what, 150 sure. years unbelievable yeah. I mean what a figure it blew, blew my mind still does yeah. the, the, the sad thing is they don't respect him man and a lot of the trouble we've had over the past eight years is that veiled oh you know they oh, it's a red wall of Republicans no there's a bunch of racist assholes behind there that have really been dragging their feet and it is embarrassing and horrible and you know I do find him an impressive dude and he granted he did disappoint people but um, I, there's no way to please anybody in the situation he was and it is incredible yeah. you know it, it is one of those moments like if that can happen anything can happen and I think that's was part of the disappointment was the fact that the story was there from the get-go right when he was in the election process in 2008 that story was there it's like oh that's fucking amazing it could be this and then and that remains you know that doesn't change that's historical in itself then the substance part oh and also he could play the role well in terms of like the man regardless of whether you like him or not he can sure deliver a speech you know Mm -hmm. he's a hell of a there are a few of those guys who are powerful public speakers regardless again whether you like them or not you know you take a ronald reagan he could deliver a speech i hate his guts but he was a hell of a public speaker Mm -hmm. 
Clinton, I don't like Clinton, but he was a hell of a public speaker. Obama, hell of a public speaker. A lot of the other guys, not necessarily. Now, that does not make you a good politician, but it makes you a charismatic person, mm-hmm. per se. So you had the charisma, you had the historic content, and then when it comes to substance, you know, it's not quite hitting. The fact is, when it comes to substance, I cannot think of a single U.S. president, or for that matter, the president of 99.9% of countries, mm-hmm. whoever was like, I like this guy. You know, it just because the whole name of the game of the political game is one of compromises is one that's built on corruption, ultimately, because, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. as long as there's money tied to election, that's how it works. So it's like, I, you know, the way you view it is exactly you are taking the best out of that story. And I dig that part. That part Mm -hmm. is untainted you know is amazing then there's all the rest of it which is crap but that's kind of how it goes but we will have cuban cigars very shortly (laughs) (laughs) i've never seen the attraction with politics i I look at politicians and i just i wonder what the thought process or or what it was that shaped that person to say to themselves one day i want to be a politician because i cannot think of anything worse i think there's a thousand times we've said you know anybody who wants to be a politician or a cop for that matter probably shouldn't be interesting you know yeah, yeah i mean it's, it's that mindset of oh, i'm gonna have power i guess even if you take it in the best possible scenario not the guys who are you know cynical power hungry i want you know i want to be in that place so i can squeeze all the money i can out of the guys giving me bribes if you look at it from the idealistic standpoint the people who think they can make a difference and that you're right applies both whether you want to be a cop or you want to be a politician you know there are people who get into those jobs with a sense of I can use that power to do good. But that's the one ring, man. <laughs> Most of the time is like... Did you ever watch a show called The Wire? Oh, yeah. I did not. So, Rich, you remember the, the mayor, yeah. or the guy who eventually becomes the mayor? This, this young guy, he starts out full of idealism. Mm-hmm. And um, by the end of the show, he is just as corrupt as every other politician. Yep. And you watch his downfall. Yep. And I just wonder if that is... Is that something that's even escapable if you if you go into politics? The nature of the game is one that's built on corruption. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about just the American political system. I'm talking about most political mm-hmm. systems. And so it's... Someone uh, said to me, um, actually, it's, it's someone we know mutually that we were just discussing earlier who... Um, uh, I, I consider him quite Machiavellian and... Uh, not a very cool dude and and he said to me once if you complain about politics it's because you're losing the game or you don't know how to play the game <laughs> and uh that always stuck with me i wondered if if that was the truth you know i mean maybe it's just maybe i'm a bit hard on myself but i've always considered perhaps it's an inherent weakness that i don't want to like backstab and scheme and fuck people over and plot and uh, just that whole thing just disgusts me if i'm honest yeah no i agree we had once on um on the podcast, we had Robert Green, you know, 48 yeah, yeah, Laws yeah. of Power. I've interviewed stuff, him as well, and, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like him a lot, actually. He's a really, like, you know, you read some of his stuff and you can think that that's how he is. That's not how he is. He's just telling you that's how the game is played. That's a, yeah. And I think that difference right there is important to keep in mind between, you know, you don't have to like a shark. You know, shark bites you, but being mad at them is also silly. It's mm-hmm. like, well, that's just the nature of the game. So what are you going to do about it? How can you navigate and I think the Robert Greene approach was that. He's like, I'm not telling you do these things. I'm telling you this is how people play the game. I'm giving you the knowledge so you can recognize it. You can try to steer clear of that, or you can apply it as you see fit, only in the context you see fit. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Th- I'm just giving you the tool. It's up to you to figure out how you want to use it, if you want to use it. And that part I feel okay with, because I agree with you. I mean, it's like if you are that person where is constantly essentially manipulating other human beings to get what they want, 
you are not really that far you are different from a rapist only in <laughs> terms of degrees yeah. you know you're not really it, it is what it is you're just trying to s- manipulate people will to get what you want mm-hmm. and you know what I, what i realize about people who live their lives like that is their karma is instant because they are always expecting people to treat them in the same way sure so they look at i mean when they look at someone they think what can i get out of this person how can i manipulate them but they also when they meet someone new for the first time they're like oh fuck this guy's trying to manipulate me what is he trying to squeeze out of me and that's not a great way to live no it's a lonely place because you're constantly kind of obsessed about a power game which ultimately is a joke anyway because you're going to be dead just as much yeah. as anybody else so fucking relax and enjoy life and and again there's something to be said about I'm not taking a total Pollyanna position of like well any kind of game in that regard is wrong it's like there are situations in which knowing how to play where you can steer reality in a direction that's more favorable is good mm. but that does not necessarily mean manipulation in an evil sense it may be manipulation of like in the more positive scenario it could be manipulation of you see somebody that's coming from a certain mindset and you know that there's no change in their mind but you know that if you approach them in a slightly different way you can bring them to a place where they mellow out they will actually be happier with the interaction Mm -hmm. and so will you so in a way you are manipulating things to make sure that everybody got what they want when sometimes people egos stand in the way and they would be so not only as paradoxical as they may sound they are manipulating things in a way that benefit the person you are manipulating Mm -hmm. as well as others Mm -hmm. In that case, I don't consider it manipulation anymore. You know, you are you're just playing with reality in a way that leads to the best possible outcome. That I have no problem with. Of course, it's a very slippery slope because it's, uh, you know, every hustle in the world starts with, uh, no, I'm doing it for their own good. And that's when, you know, very often things go wrong. I, I, to me, it, it is all, what, what you've just described is all um, symptomatic of uh, an almost meta- observation i've had which is that you can either see the world through a lens of scarcity or abundance Mm -hmm. and i I mean even in my own life i noticed that there was a a very uh, specific shift when i started realizing man there's enough to go around for everyone Mm -hmm. you know and that's when i actually started to become a lot less manipulative and Mm -hmm. a lot less uh just a a lot more open and just because you know there there is literally on this planet there is enough for everyone if we allocate resources efficiently we can all live in a paradise and i know that's very idealistic maybe we won't get there with with this planet um i always like to think that maybe there are planets in the galaxy or in the universe that have figured it out you know yeah because aren't i guess we can certainly do a better job in terms of distribution of resources but isn't there kind of a finite limit in nature where you know once you pass certain limits you're just shit out of luck i guess that's true but um i mean look we're seven billion people on the planet and we're all still alive Mm -hmm. we're all still eating well most of us are like nourished and uh i think we haven't hit that limit it's a way to go but um interesting yeah it's a it's a good point you make i mean we probably will hit that limit if we carry on the way we're going but something i was thinking about the other day is uh you know i don't know too much about the science of it but uh, i was actually just in the car with a, an uber driver and he he's into uh, solar energy that's he's mm-hmm. got a company on the side and you know, the amount of energy that is radiating from the sun and hitting this planet every day like if we could capture that oh yeah i mean sorted the problem is just sorted out you know and i really hope we figure it out before we all um 
if there was a transformation of asshole energy into productive energy, the amount of fucked up people in the world whose energy can be tapped into productive, you light up the whole city yeah. and make everyone happy. It's like, that's like true alchemy. Turn the evil motherfucker was like <laughs> sending bad vibes to the universe and put all that energy to turning the light on and powering my Mac. But this this comes back to something else we discussed earlier, which is um you pointed out to me that uh, the the true story of Pocahontas. I don't know how that came oh, yeah. up, but can you just relate again what happened? Yeah, we're talking about we're talking about American Indian stuff, and you were mentioning how there's a pretty heavy vibes surrounding native cultures, and yeah, there are big time. And uh, you mentioned, well, except Pocahontas, and you were joking about the Disney stuff. And then I was thinking, yeah, except, you know, the real story of Pocahontas sucks because it's like she got uh, kidnapped by the British, married off, <clears throat> probably forcibly married off because, you know, usually you're not exactly thrilled to marry the dudes who just kidnap <laughs> you. So there's that. And then uh, brought back to England by him. While she's there, she catches some European diseases and dies by the age of 22. Yeah. Not exactly the Disney tale, you yeah. know. I like uh, I like that. Ver- That's my thing. It's like the day that they put Disney screenwriters in charge of the universe, the universe would be a much kinder place. Real history sucks, man. So the, what I when you mentioned that, I, I, the first thing that came to mind was maybe that is one of the problems with uh, our society is the fact that we have been spoon fed so much Disney-esque stuff that mm-hmm. leads us to believe everything has a happy ending or yep. this is some ideal we can strive for. And You know, remember in The Matrix, um, the agent, uh, the evil S- agent, is Smith. Some, a- agent Smith, he's saying to, to Neo, you know, we had a Matrix once that was a paradise, but it didn't work. Like, yeah, you guys just didn't fucked believe it, it up. Right. And maybe, like, maybe the, this is just the way it's supposed to be. Maybe there are supposed to be corrupt politicians and mm-hmm. we're supposed to have fossil fuels destroying the environment. Maybe this is just the way it's supposed to be and we're all supposed to accept that. But I kind of think that that's a cop-out, as we discussed on, so on the show yeah. the other day. Yeah. I totally think so, too. I'm like, all the anytime you start getting into those, uh, oh, just karma that, you know, a fucking two-month-old baby dies of nasty diseases, it's like, that's where I think, like, a notion of karma where there's something appealing about it, like, there's the idea of personal responsibility that, mm-hmm. you know, just quit whining about the way things are, deal with what you can do about it, and mm-hmm. now, that I find very appealing. At the same time, when the notion of karma starts becoming a justification for uh, essentially blaming the victim, that's when you turn an empowering concept into a fucked up concept mm-hmm. and it becomes this, you know, pseudo mystical fascist perversion where yeah. I'm just like, you know, I hate that shit. Uh, very popular in like ayahuasca circles or stuff like that, where it's like, wherever you are is what you, whatever happened to you is what needed to happen to you. And it's like, you actually probably chose it as a spirit, as a challenge to grow out of. Yeah, getting fucking gang rape, that's what you chose as a spirit to learn a lesson from. Fuck you and your karma and your idea. That's where I find, like, it's taking it to a place where I'm not comfortable with. Again, it's, it, as often is, is a fine line. Like, I like the emphasis on personal responsibility and not just worrying about the past. Oh, all this shit happened and this was done to me and society is evil and blah, blah, blah. Mm. It's like... I get it. Thank you. Now what? What can you do about it? How, how are you going to... P- you got shitty cards. I got that part. How are you going to play with those cards? I like that vibe. You know, I really dig it. Mm. At the same time, it's very convenient for people who don't have shitty cards to tell somebody else, 
it's just up to you, you know, yeah. pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And it's oh, like, but what else are you going to tell them? No, I think, it, I don't think the message is wrong. I think the way you put it is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the emphasis is wrong. If you tell me, if you do it with compassion, kind of like there's an emphasis of, I did, it's not fucking fair. This stuff happened. There's no fairness in it. I wish there was. It sucks. I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you do acknowledge that first. And then you can start putting in the emphasis on, okay, now what can we do about mm-hmm. it? I think that skipping off that step where it goes straight to, it's all for the best. Just go for it. Mm-hmm. It's like there's an element that lacks um, lacks empathy in a way. Mm-hmm. It lacks the understanding of where somebody's coming from, which I think needs to come first before you can move out mm-hmm. of it. I think I think you're pretty much correct on that. But the, the one thing I think we need more than anything is people to experience other people's lives. I think a lot of kids in the United States are so comfortable with their existence that, man, wouldn't it be great if they spent a few weeks in Rwanda or mm-hmm. just saw how bad it could be. I think that sort of exposure could do tons. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a karmic sort of revelation or more. I think it's just if we were really to see how bad some people have it, more than just you know some teardrops on some African kid on some commercial late at night, I think that's what would really get people mm-hmm. to get going. Well, I, I think it, uh, the cool thing about technology and podcasts and, and, and what we're involved with is, you know, you don't have to send that kid to Rwanda. You can just tell him to listen to Dan Collins' podcast on World War I. Do you right. know what I mean? I mean yeah. And he will have a pretty good idea of just how good his life is. And the fact that he can just walk out of his room and open the fridge and have a cold drink and not have to worry about a mortar yeah. landing on him or gangrene or watching his friends' intestines being blown out of him, it's... We are so, so goddamn lucky. It's yeah. something that keeps coming back to me over and over again. No question. No, your point is that on. And also because you just mentioned the name of the one and only true Messiah, Dan Carlin. <laughs> I just have to bow and kneel and just kiss the ground. And yes. Isn't it amazing how long people put up with that shit? I know like about year two or three, there's definitely grumblings of how many more millions go to the meat grinder. But... Man, I don't think people would put up with that shit at all today. Uh, As as I said to you earlier, Rich, the the history of this planet is dark. And that ties into something, you know, I'm wondering if, again, it's a Disney, the Disney-esque or the Disneyfication of of, uh, the West. You know, every single movie I watched growing up or almost every single movie I watched growing up, not only did it have a, have a happy ending, but the bad guy usually got his comeuppance in the end, right? Yeah, that's... It's yep. the formula, you know, yep. and, and uh, a friend of mine, a very intelligent guy, said to me once, he said, you know, Nick, a long time ago, I let go of the just world hypothesis. And to me, it's, I'm kind of scared, like, because what he said made a lot of sense, but that it, to me is one of those overriding master thoughts in my mind that kind of holds everything together, like, you know, justice or karma, sure. or, you know, it's like, once you get rid of that, then life and the world becomes a very, very, very dark and scary place. No, I agree. I think it's uh, it goes back again to that fine line where all of it is that you go a little too much, two inches off that line and you really fall deep into a bad place. You go two inches the other way and you're off. That line to me is really about combining those two insights, you know, combining the idea that yes, on one level, there is no justice in the world. And when you look at human history, it fucking sucks. It looks more like Game of Thrones than a Disney movie. You know, it's uh, at the same time, I also think there's something good in uh, pushing that ideal, not as a, not 
not being blind to reality, not arguing, this is how it is, this is, no, it's not fucking how it is, take a look outside and it's not how it is, but having a, this is how I want to fight to bring it closer to that than it is now, you know, this is what it can be, if we can imagine it, we can create portions of Mm -hmm. it, that I dig, you know, that ability to, and in that sense, even when it comes to movies, I dig the story where at the end there's a happy end to the whole thing, because if I can fucking watch Game of Thrones day in and day out, I like it, it's well done, it's awesome, but I want to shoot myself, and I want to shoot everyone else around me, and yeah. so that's not really what I want to get out of, uh, and I don't mean entertainment in a light sense, I, it doesn't inspire me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's uh, entertain. it's like so well done, like there are Game of Thrones lines that I'm like repeating 10 times over, because they are so brilliant, right? Uh and yet, I'm not inspired, you know. I just feel like everything sucks and I want to shoot myself. Yeah. <laughs> but what about the notion that we're here on this trip to actually learn something and these experiences and these shitty things that happen are probably a big part of the learning process, you know? Yeah. That's that's me, That's my first thought, but it comes back to Daniele's um, point, which is maybe that's just a really weak way of rationalizing and to, to people who've had really bad things happen to them. What but about you know, people who have really good things happen to them, though? Yeah. I mean, the, the one percenters with their piles of gold. Yeah. Are they actually happy or? And by the way, it's not that I know that that's not true because how the fuck do I know, right? Yeah. It's like for all I know, that can entirely yeah. be true. I guess the part that the part that rubbed me wrong is when it's taken a little too far and it turns into a uh, blaming the victim kind of thing. Mm. Whereas, like, she, you know, the one thing that I hate the most to hear is when people are in the kind of everything happened for a reason, and I'm just like. Yeah, this right cross that's about to hit you square in the face is about to happen for a reason. You know, let, let like... me tell you an interesting story that, again, I, I can only relate. Um, this is someone's subjective experience that they related to me, and it always made me think about things in a slightly mm-hmm. different way. Um, it was actually a, at an ayahuasca retreat, funny mm-hmm. enough, and this um, this woman who you could see she was pretty tortured, um, and she had a really bad trip, and she was crying a lot. She it was she obviously was processing some very mm-hmm. heavy emotional stuff. At the end, it transpired when we had a group share that her father had beaten her really, really badly while she was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And during this ayahuasca trip, she apparently, and again, this sounds very out there, but we've all seen some crazy sure. shit. She claimed that um, she had been, she on this trip, she visited a planet that she was originally from, mm-hmm. and she was... Uh, confronted by a council of um, the beings that were similar to her and she said basically the gist of it was she wanted to know why she came to earth and why she went through this horrific fucking Mm -hmm. ordeal and what they said was um, earth is a planet whereby uh, it has a very powerful um, emotional density to the experience and we sent you there to gather information about emotions and how we could use that technology for our race and you are, are a very brave entity and it was a massive undertaking that you chose to do for us and we we're incredibly grateful now is this just some crazy complex rationalization that her mind made up to, to explain the horrible things that happened to her maybe but also having heard that made me feel better you know a i agree yeah it's a nice whether it's a fantasy or not it's pleasant the other part is I have a lot less of a knee-jerk reaction against it when it comes from the person mm-hmm. who has gone through a lot of shit, where it's like, hey, 
If it's true, good for you. And if it's not true, good for you anyway, because you just came up with a way to exercise the horrors that you have gone through. So I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. I find it a little more fucking annoying when it's somebody who, you know, their life, their life's problem is somebody cut me off in traffic and they go to somebody who has been through enormous shit and go like, you know, everything, you chose this. And it's like, well, let's, yeah. you know, that's where I have a bit more of a problem where even it's the same thing as the kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which there's a part of it, which is true. You know, it's kind of like there's the whole debate on a social level that people who have uh, at a social level, whether they grew up, their neighborhood, their ethnicity, their whatever the fuck, they have been given rougher cards than other that make their life more challenging. Now, clearly, regardless of all the social injustice in the world, at the end of the day, the only thing you have agency for is what you are going to do about it mm-hmm. now. You know, yes, you are in a shitty place. Yes, there's this, that, and the other. Don't expect that the universe is going to go, oh, poor child, you just got an unfair deal. Let me mm-hmm. fix it for you, because that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen from society. It's not going to happen from the universe. So how are you going to play those cards? There's something empowering about that. At the same time, there's something that's a cop-out when people who don't have that experience Mm -hmm. from the outside, from a privileged position, tell you, don't expect anything. It's like, if you try hard enough, all will work out. And it's like, well, that's fucking easy for you to say sitting where you're at is not. So again, it's a 50-50 thing. You know, if I listen to the one in the privileged position passing that vibe without that sense of actually empathy for where somebody's at, I'm bugged. And by the same token, I'm bugged if I hear the person who's constantly blaming society and mm-hmm. what happened to them and the universe. It's kind of like, yeah, I got it already. Move your fucking ass now. Let's just, let just go in, you know, enough with the whining, you know. So, I don't know. I think the moral of the story is just I'm a grumpy asshole who's bugged by everything because <laughs> it's like, this will piss me off and the opposite will piss me off. And, but, you know. Daniela, let's, let's um, if you don't mind, move the conversation in a slightly different direction. By I, all means. It's, it's been something on my mind for a while. Um, you mentioned a mushroom trip Oh yeah, that you had recently, and you said it was kind of kind of tough. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to chat about that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, because I've gone through a lot of shit, and so I was trying to find ways to um, snap out of it, you know, to help me get to a better place. And you know, everybody we know from podcasting and so on is very big on the healing power of psychedelics, which I have you know nothing against in theory, or you know, I, I know for a fact that there are a lot of people who have done it in a way that helped them a ton. So I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I've done mushrooms a couple of times. Where one time was awesome, you know, it was a minor amount, and it was all like kind of oh. Look at the pretty colors, fun and games, you know, nothing or shattering, whether in a good or a bad way, but a very pleasant experience, right? Very haha, happy, everything. I did it another time where it was, I don't know exactly the amount, but it was not dramatic in any way. It was just kind of like giving myself the flu. I just got a giant headache and I was just in bed kind of shivering and that was it, which was like, okay, I could have done without that part, but it wasn't that bad, right? And then this one in a more therapeutic setting where the whole point was to kind of work through stuff with psychedelics in a and uh, you know take the mushrooms put the eye mask on i kind of black out i don't remember what happens next and the next thing i remember is me in the um, basically in this lady's lap like the lady was facilitating the whole thing i'm just crying my eyes out in her lap and 
oddly enough, that's actually the good part of the trip. <laughs> that's where things are. Even in the moment, there's a part of me left that can see what's going on and feel like this is totally this is this is where I need to be. You know, I, this I find is when my, when my head's in a lady's lap. It's usually a good part of a trip. Usually you <laughs> figure, right? Yeah. Well, and again, this is. Uh, but yeah, I'm crying an hour straight of just straight up crying from the depth of my soul, right? Where it's just like I'm just kind of kicking. Uh, I can still hear it in my head. It's like not the way I would normally cry. It's like this just. And there's a part of me that feel like, okay, this is good. There's a lot of heavy shit that I cannot tap into in my regular consciousness that I need to process and let go. And so that part I have, it's rough, but I have no problem with it. Once that hour is done, the part that I could do without is the next seven hours in which I spend the entire time. I black out again. So I go from that scenario to a moment where I don't know what happened and I wake up and I'm 110% sure that I'm dying. And uh, I'm 100% sure that I'm never going to see anybody I love again, that this is it. And I feel like, what the fuck? This is the wrong time, the wrong everything doesn't flow. And I go into just this complete, even say I go is a big stretch because there's no I left. There's the, what's left there has nothing to do with my normal personality. They're just this crazed, wounded animal who's fucked up beyond belief, who's swimming in an ocean of fear. And there's just no, uh, doesn't think the way I think, doesn't processing the way I think, doesn't have access to any of the stuff that I normally have. And, you know, again, I have no problem with that because you often hear the, you know, you go through hell in some trips and then you kind of are brought back and you come out to in this sort of you die to be reborn. That was, I die, then I dig deeper, then I dig a deeper, a little deeper yet, and then it's over. And it's kind of like, this fucking sucks. You know, so I you just had spent... the darkness without the light, basically. Yeah. And then I spent the next week waking up in the middle of the night going, <gasps> just gasping for breath, having mushroom flashback, where not only I ever got rid, you know, got rid of PTSD that I had to begin with, but I've added a layer of oh, mushroom shit. PTSD to it, where I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, that was not what I was looking for. Yeah. Fuck, you know, this. so that made me a little... Um, and again, I'm not saying that because of that experience and thinking, oh, then psychedelics are bad and there's no... I I listen to so many stories of people that I trust telling me that it helped them tremendously. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against that idea. Uh, still, I have nothing against that idea all I want. That's not the way it panned out for me. So I'm a little sketchy about... It just sounds like she slipped you something different at some point because the end part sounds like a, a DMT nightmare yeah. where you lose yourself because I've never experiences i've had like the agitation on mushrooms where and it was funny it was when my kids were little too mm-hmm. having little kids is not a good time to be tripping <laughs> because there's so much you know that built-in yeah. worry yeah, that's yeah. constantly going yeah. times three is so magnified mm. but we jumped back on a couple years ago when our kids were taken care of and we were in a real pristine place and it was magical again. yeah and that's why I understand the front part of the trip, but that back part really sounds like that sort of deconstructive, I've gone too far, mm-hmm. I don't exist, I'm losing myself. Uh, I've heard it described as being a sandcastle, trying to hold yourself mm-hmm. together as the wind. Yeah, I mean, half of it I don't even remember, because it was like there are moments where I literally could not see in front of my face, I definitely could not walk, I was just in a whole other place where... Uh, after a while when I started coming back I realized everything was wet around me because apparently I kept trying to down 
brown water, <laughs> but then I wouldn't swallow it. I would just spit it all over the place. And uh, he was, uh, yeah, I mean, I was like, yeah. What do you think of that, doctor? Yeah, please. <laughs> I mean, so first of all, uh, I think that that's just your comment. That's just something, yeah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Where's my knife? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I empathize a lot because I've had times like that where complete dissolution of the ego and you just don't know who or what you are mm-hmm. struggling to form language in your brain. Um, I think with psychedelics, it's one of those things where you, you pay your money and you take your chance, right? And um, I think that the benefit, it, it's its quite rare or it's its, it's, um, it's not common that someone takes psychedelics and does permanent damage to themselves mm-hmm. when, they, when they do it within a, a, a proper setting. Sure. You know, and I think that that risk is outweighed by the the potential benefits so i would hope that you would give something like that another chance um i know it's tough i mean i just literally a weekend ago uh my girlfriend's brother gave me some some weed cookies right mm-hmm. and the stuff you guys have out here is a fucking another level right <laughs> yeah. Indeed, like right and i i took one of this uh one of these cookies and w- Daniela, I'm not exaggerating with you when I say it was one of the worst days of my fucking life, yep. dude. I was, I have never been more paranoid or felt shitty, and I never want to feel like that again. Right. But at the same time, I also want to feel like I felt before on um, certain trips and and get that positive stuff out of it. So I know it's a risk I'm going to have to take, you know. And I guess my question would be, do you think there's is sort of like you're flipping the coin and when it eats the good way, you can get a lot of benefits and when it doesn't, you don't? Or do you actually think there's something useful that you get even in the horrendous trips as much as I definitely cannot see that right now? Do you think there may be something going on there or what's your take on it? Mm, um, you know, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but I can, I can only give you my opinion. And my opinion is that you probably have shifted some stuff on an energetic level that you're not even aware of that will ultimately lead to um, an improvement in in your life or a deeper understanding. I really hope that that's the case. That's what I mean. I've had some trips that I really didn't understand why I was shown these things or why I went through that horror. And then a few weeks or months later, I'd finally have processed it and I'd be like, okay, that was important, and I see what it was for. So I hope that that's the case for you. Yeah, and I mean, I do. I am 100% convinced that the first hour was key, was very helpful to me. You know, because I know that there's a lot of unprocessed grief that I cannot tap into. That, you know, my in my conscious mind, no matter how much I try, I cannot get to that place. Mm-hmm. And so I know that that first hour was very healing for me, mm-hmm. you know. So I do get that. I'm wondering about the other seven, you know, the afterwards, <laughs> the part where it's like just hell and I just take a beating and more of a beating and more of a beating. And I'm just like... I don't know that part. But again, having said that, by the way, just as a little postscript, the last three weeks or so, I've been feeling dramatically better. In, and again, I've had these moments up and down where kind of like I have a few shitty weeks and I climb out and I have a few really good weeks and then a few shitty weeks. I am definitely one of the few good weeks now. But the point is, I also feel that maybe something has shifted because I've had a couple of hints that 
there's something deeper going on in where I'm at right now as opposed to purely I'm hitting a good stride. I'm hoping, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and, and it would be nice to think that all the getting the shit beaten out of me in the mushroom trip actually led to this. And even if it didn't, who fucking cares? It's one day and then I'm in a better place anyway. Well, so you it's like get important stuff out too, and it really is almost like lancing a, a mental or a spiritual, you know, boil at that mm-hmm, point. Yeah. And it really, you know, you do look better over the past couple of weeks. Yes. By the way, it's pretty funny because I kept asking like obsessively, like three, four hundred times. I probably ask, "Am I dying?" <laughs> and this lady would tell me. By the way, she was. I have nothing bad to say about her. She was super nice, and I don't think she fucked up. I think I think it's just kind of mm, roll of the dice the way it played out with me. But uh, you know, she would tell me, "No, you know, you're okay, whatever." And but you know, you're tripping your balls out. So <laughs> what I would see, I would hear the words saying, "No, you're gonna be okay," and her face in the meantime would look like she's kind of crying and going like sort of like. No, yeah. you're gonna be okay, and I'm like, you fucking don't believe it. You know, you're about to, you're, you know that I'm dying. And so it was like there was no getting me out of it. You know, so, something that comes to mind. Um, so clearly your your perception of reality had been warped by the psychedelics. Yeah, now, I wonder. Um, I wonder how many of us, maybe just this normal waking consciousness that we have now is, in fact, I don't wonder. I know it's probably a warped perception of reality as well. It's just one that's been conditioned by you know society and our parents and and our experience and for me what i'm always trying to do is and i don't know if this is some weird little piece of idealistic software that's driving me mm-hmm. to do this but i want to see reality as clearly as possible mm-hmm. um and this ties into something else that you know you said you, you've you've been on this like roller coaster of emotions mm-hmm. um as someone who's experienced that a lot in his life um i kind of wanted do you think maybe that yeah, maybe it's it's a symptom of just thinking too much. Mm-hmm. Just like we have too much time on our hands, or too like maybe maybe the guy in the trenches in World War One who's worried about the shell about to hit oh, him, yeah. or worried where his next meal is coming from. I don't know if he was having these existential nihilistic what? thoughts, or like maybe he was just trying to get through it, and maybe in some weird perverted way he was happier. Like, well, not happier, but more present or more. Definitely well, here alive. Is, here is what yeah. happened to me. Um, that state they are describing, I've been in that state for quite a while, where I was actually, I was so, like, what I would say is sort of like nobody's depressed in the middle of a marathon, you know, it's like you're too busy just mm. plowing forward, you know, you're just, and I was in that state where I did not feel depressed at all, right? Heavy shit all over me, like there's all this heavy stuff that I'm carrying and I'm just powering through, like, you know, just keep going. I do not feel emotionally any of the bad stuff. My body started breaking down heavily, you know, where suddenly I developed some serious problems physically and then, which are clearly psychosomatic, right? And then I come out of it and then another one and then I come out of it and then another one. And so what happened, I was feeling like, because to me it's like, I found the solution, right? It's like, if I just fucking power through and I am super busy to begin with, and I am going to involve myself in 10,000 creative projects. So not busy for, only for busy sake, also where energy is going to a good place, then screw all this stuff. I don't need to feel all those messed up emotions that are messing me up. The problem is it didn't pan out in terms of my body didn't go along with that. So evidently I convinced my mind and my emotional state, I was there, and my body was like, yeah, you think it's that easy, mm-hmm. right? It's like, yeah, not quite. Mm-hmm. There's uh, some shit that you're not dealing with that I'm carrying, even though you're not aware of it, 
you know, maybe me body to me mind, you know, my mind would be like, no, I can do this. This is fine. I can handle it. And my body was like, well, you know, you think it's not because you're not feeling it. You think it's not there. It's still there. Mm -hmm. And something needs to be done about it. Mm. So I think it's both things are true. I mean, I do think that sometime, you know, that willpower, that lack of uh, sort of being able to sit around uh, looking at your navel, contemplating the injustices <laughs> of the world. I think there's something good about not doing that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, in my experience, that has not been the solution for me. Uh, It It has helped. There's a a general theme with our conversations, and it always comes back to, I guess, balance is ultimately what it is. There's there's so much to say for each viewpoint, you know, and... uh, what we said on on uh, when you were on my show is uh, I remember I referred to that uh, the sign of a powerful mind is the ability to hold two diametrically opposed viewpoints at the same time without splintering and which is yeah awesome quote right yeah. there no it's brilliant and I think he's not just the point you know a recurring theme in our conversation I think that's life that's life, I think too. that just the DNA of life mm-hmm. that we're dealing with that it is about that's why I dig Taoism, because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about, right? About that constantly shifting dynamic balance that's, you have it one second, but like if you're surfing on a wave, you need to be ready to make the little adjustment. Or if you're doing jujitsu, you know, you mm-hmm. may be right where you need to be, but the context is changing. So the next second, you need to make that adjustment to be there. I think that's life. Mm-hmm. I think that's just the game we're playing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I funny enough i actually was having a very deep conversation with my girlfriend last night she's um she's struggling with a bunch of stuff um work pressures and things like that and i said to her maybe there's just no way out maybe we just have to all sit here and suck it up and suck up the fact that this world is filled with shit and horror and Mm -hmm. injustice and violence and death but it's also filled with love and joy and beauty and possibility and Maybe that's just the nature of this fucking game that we've signed up for, and you pay your money and you take you take the ride, you know. And you've got to have the whole spectrum available to you, yeah. or else you can't reach the edges, you know. And if that's not a possibility, then you really are going to be in this benign sort of black and white, and and no real choices, mm-hmm. and just sort of, you know, what a really horrible way to suffer. Mm-hmm. But if there was no real choices in anything, I was interested what you said about the clarity, because one thing that I found about the psychedelics is I felt like I had a new set of glasses on when I was done the first time. The whole mm. world seemed yeah. different. So is that clarity? Or am I now, I've often said, I don't think you really come down. You just become used to your new conditioning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, just from a physiological point of view, I notice after a strong ayahuasca trip or a strong mushroom trip, like my visual acuity is massively improved. Oh, yeah. Literally, like for, for weeks afterwards. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether if that's... Uh, translates over into into spiritually how you see the world if your, your spiritual vision is improved I'm, I'm not sure but i would like to think it is right yeah mm-hmm. i hope so no absolutely is there any insane um what is it is what's the, the the bush of south africa do they have any psychedelics up there or do they have their own you um, know, awesome peyote or anything that goes back a thousand years i know that um cannabis is uh there's certain bush tribes in south africa that that work a lot with cannabis and there's a lot of um indigenous met uh like bush medicine that they use to enter altered states um in south africa i mean you know you guys know iboga comes from mm-hmm. from west africa i don't think we have a boga in south africa but i know that um the natural medicine systems of south africa 
rely quite heavily on, I think the word is muti, they call it muti, it's um, medicine that's created. Sometimes it's quite horrific and they make it out of body parts and Ooh, you know, it can get pretty dark as well. But The um, walking dead version of psychedelics. <laughs> pretty much. And there, there are no, um, the, the indigenous cultures of South Africa are no um, strangers to, to altering brain chemistry in order to enter different states. So every society has yeah, I mean, along the way. Of course. It's I as old as our history. I mean, yeah. it is what we've been doing since the dawn of time. No, definitely. I mean, fucking animals like to trip. You right. know, there's a bunch of animals who regularly consume plants that mm-hmm. have mind-altering properties. There's something that's fun about it, and there's also something that's probably powerful in, uh, you know, yeah, I agree with you. You know, mm-hmm. this sense of reality is one sense, one that I'm rather comfortable with, which <laughs> is why, you know, yeah. sometimes I prefer it to other sense, but there's also other stuff that's amazing. So it's... Um, I remember a buddy of mine, um, when we were teenagers, he did he did acid, um, and this was before I'd ever touched any sort of drugs or been involved mm-hmm. in any of that kind of stuff, and I didn't see him for a long time, and it was a pretty bad trip. I, I wasn't, we weren't very close at the time, and a few years later, he, he told me that it actually took him several years to be able to get used to the new way that he was seeing the world. Wow. Um, after that, that acid trip, he said, like, I, he said, because I said to him, dude, let's do mushrooms or whatever yeah. I was trying to get to convince him to do. And he was like, man, I have only just got used to looking at the world in this way. I don't want to fuck it up again. Wow. And that always that's stuck savvy. with me. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, it, it can go pretty wrong. You know, you got to be. Of course. Yeah. Well, in hearing your cookie story, I, I, I feel I must tell, you know, children. Cookies are not for rookies. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> newbies use doobies. <laughs> That's uh, step in carefully. Your poetic self Thank strikes again. No, I agree. I mean, I like you know smoking weed. I feel comfortable with because I always know where I'm at. It's like there's very slow, and I tend to have a relatively high tolerance, so I can really feel it's coming like little bit by little bit, where I can know exactly where I want to stop and yeah. feel good about it. Edibles, not my friends. Mm. Definitely not my friends. It's too either too little or too heavy. Mm-hmm. I find very hard to find a good place, and I'm like, and no way to tell. I mean, nobody's no, fascinated or anything. No, so no, it's no. I'm like, a, yeah, I'm not. A yeah, big, I had a friend uh, who was a long time smoker, and he freaked himself into an anxiety attack. He thought mm-hmm. it was a heart attack just yeah. eating some damn brownie. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you yeah. never know who mixed that thing up, and all the good <laughs> shit could be down in that quarter you got. Yeah. You, know? you know, the only time that I had smoking something weird happen was I've noticed. Speaking of weird body chemistry. If I ever smoke before lunch, which I never do, right? But there are a couple of times in my life where I have, it's heavy as hell. It suddenly like affects me really, not in a fun way, in a kind of confused uh, where the hell am I kind of way. If I do it at after lunch, like most times ever, meaning any time afterwards, like from there to night, then I'm totally fine and I barely feel. I had this one time I had, I was doing this podcast with David Seaman. I was on his podcast and he gave me a hit of Blue Dream, which is normally, you know, it's a good strain. I like it, but it's nothing dramatic, nothing eventful. I took one hit and I spent the rest of the podcast with him going like, I would hear his voice. And all of a sudden I hear that it's like he's coming to an end what he's about to say when it's my turn. And all of a, I'm going like, what the? fuck was he talking about yeah. i have no the idea what i'm gonna say dizzy, yeah i was like he was like oh, i find man. it affects me in the same way if i haven't eaten anything in fact i remember um a couple of years ago uh, when i went on um, rogan's show and i hadn't eaten that morning Ooh. and i get there and like of course joe whips out the fucking biggest joint you've ever seen and that never happens yeah how could that yeah and it had been a year that I hadn't smoked and, and I took oh. a few tokes and then, you know, in that old that old ice house thing, it's got all those weird 
like m- moving cats and like yeah, yeah, strange yeah. lights and it's like being in this strange cave and Brian Redman yeah. <laughs> and yeah it was a it was a total trip I, I've definitely noticed if, if you don't have some sort of lining to your stomach just like yeah. like alcohol right it can really fuck you oh, up oh yeah big time yeah. but um, for the people who are not yet familiar with you give them a little bit of context about what you do and everything else a uh, couple of things i'm sure there's also a lot more to the ones that i'm aware of but a couple of things that stand out immediately in terms of podcasting you are involved earlier on with uh, london real you are kind of building the show up early on then i don't want to bring up whatever shit happened at that point or what but basically that's no longer like when you went to rogan i think you were still part of london mm-hmm. real mm-hmm. at the time and then now you're running the journey podcast anything else that you're playing with in the podcasting department no i mean the journey is is um the focus of i mean yeah, that is the only podcast right. I'm involved with um and it's been it's been a lot of fun uh it's actually, it started, uh, there's a friend of mine who runs Open Mat Radio, which is a mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu podcast, and he heard me on London Real, and he invited me on Open Mat Radio to do a jiu-jitsu-specific podcast, and then when London Real finished, a lot of people kept saying, um, well, not when it finished for me, uh, right. a lot of a lot of people kept saying to me, hey, Nick, you should do your own show, like, you know, and I, I kept in the back of my mind, and then something told me that Paul was the right guy to do it with, and uh, nice. as you as you know, he's a really he's a cool guy. Ah, and totally. a, yeah, so it's it's just it's been really cool. It's something I'm very proud of, and I really enjoy enjoy the journey. It's it's fun. That's awesome. And the other thing, one of the other stuff that you are famous for is your jujitsu. You um, went when you went to England. When you went, that's where you started training. Uh, got your black belt can you give us a just again I don't want to I think you brought it up and I completely agree with you I don't want to pin you as the jujitsu guy and so everybody can only talk to you about that Mm -hmm. because of course there's so much more to life but just to give a tiny bit of background in that department and what was available in South Africa in your teens Mm, that's a a good question I mean in South Africa it's just I remember it was it was funny Uh, I'd done judo as a kid and then when I was about 19 i started doing grappling Mm -hmm. you know and um we had uh there were no there were no even purple belts in jiu-jitsu in the country at the time then every now and then we'd get a an old crappy vhs tape of like some gracie jiu-jitsu in action or something like and it was like gold you know and we'd (laughs) um and then when i when i left south africa one of the big reasons i left is because i realized that to progress in my jiu-jitsu i'd have to to basically dive Mm -hmm. into a bigger pond you know and uh, that's when, when I got to London, I started training with Roger Gracie, and uh, that was a great privilege, a great blessing. Of course. Um, and it's, it was very cool to see how, you know, you think you only see a tiny little spectrum of what's available, when again, when you're in an isolated place. And then mm-hmm. to see, like, hey, man, there's, I remember the first day I spotted him, I, like, I thought I was pretty damn fucking good at grappling, you know? And he just beat me up like a little kid. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> better go yeah. back to square one, you know. And funny enough, I, I get to, it's a thing about LA, I get here and in all aspects of my life, I see that, I see I'm back to square one, like mm-hmm. um, podcasting, jiu-jitsu, like this, as you said, there's so many people who are pushing the boundaries of, of everything. Sure. And that is why it's an exciting place to be. Yeah, yeah. most definitely. Yeah. That's a fun moment, though. I mean, I came out here from Nashville, and I've been doing music videos for 10 years, and think, I'm pretty good at this shit. Yeah. And you arrive, and they're like, right back to the assistant yeah. chair, friend. Oh, yeah. you got another decade to get this stuff worked yeah. out. And it's true, but it's that learning process, and no matter what you do, 
If you're willing to, you know, keep your nose to the grindstone, supposedly it will pay off at some point. And you know what? I'm starting to realize, Rich, or I'm trying to internalize this, but it's it's not where you're going. It's it's the journey, man. It's like it's getting good at something. That's the fun part. I I watched a thing. um, (laughs) I'm almost embarrassed to say, but my girl and I watched this. Oprah thing every Sunday. It's called Super Soul Sunday. You should be embarrassed. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's actually really good, dude. She interviews all these successful people, and they all have a spiritual component to how they got successful. They all somehow knew that they were going to be successful. They they speak about these very spiritual defining moments or pivotal moments in their lives. And um, one of the things I found interesting, she she had Simon Cowell on it, and he uh. He said, what I would say to people is remember that it's becoming successful. That is the fun part. It's working hard when you've got no money and trying to hustle and figure things out. And he said, it's not actually as fun anymore now that he's established and made it. And that always stuck with me. And again, it it always comes back to the same thing, which is being in the present moment Mm -hmm. and enjoying what you're doing right here and now. That's all you got. There's absolutely nothing else. No, that's for sure. And uh, and you lately, after, you know, training forever when you were in England and all of that, you have been kind of on this nomadic quest for the last, how long? How long have you been a homeless (laughs) bum roaming the world? It's been a couple of years now, actually. In in April, it'll be two years. Wow. Yeah, it's, you know, if I'm honest... uh, it's the happiest I've ever been. I mean, there's been some dark fucking times. and I heard a podcast of yours where you were, like, tired. You yeah. were just like, shit, I think I'm done. Yeah. I need stability. I need... Uh, and then you get a bit of stability, and it's the nature of the human mind, right? Back and on the move. Yeah, but uh, I do feel, I mean, air travel, I didn't realize how much that takes out of your body. Like, it's not good sure. for you, dude. That That's because good. you separate your astral self from yeah. the physical <laughs> self. It takes some time for it to catch up with you. What exactly are you doing in your nomadic journeys? Or do you have a favorite spot? Is there something that surprised you the most? Mm, I love Thailand, man. I, I love That's Thailand. That's a place yeah. where I really, really, really want to go. Dude, yeah. you got, what what an incredible place. That What prompted it is, uh, funny enough, like things, my involvement with London Real had come to an end, and I was... You know, I was a good jiu-jitsu teacher, well-known jiu-jitsu teacher, doing reasonably well, you know, like, and I was sitting in my little apartment in London, which is not much bigger than the size of this studio, but a, a really, like, a nice little apartment, and um, my landlord said to me, hey, I'm going to put your, your rent up, and I thought to myself, you know, why the fuck am I doing this to myself, killing myself every month to stay here in this dark cold rainy city you know i don't have uh, a wife or kids or like any real attachments i have a couple of online businesses that generate income why do i have to stay here i could i could just go do whatever i wanted and so um so i just i left and uh it's been tough but i mean it's also been so much fun mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i recommend it to anyone if you have the means or or the the right set of circumstances in your life that allow you to do that I think it's very unlikely that you'll uh, you'll be disappointed that you did it. You, know? you ran into your girlfriend on the road, or did you uh, were you guys already together? No, before? I actually met her in LA. I, I saw her. Um, I was in Westwood with a buddy, and I saw this chick across the street. And I've I've got this thing for girls in in yoga pants. It's just my thing. Um, and I, I she was she was really cute, and I just I said to myself, I have to have one of those. And uh, <laughs> I ran up to her and uh, started chatting and. Um, 
It's the best thing that ever happened to her, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, babe. Oh, God. And that's why Nick is never going to get another date in his life again <laughs> after this becomes public enough. Yes. As you went place to place, did, would you set up like training gigs and, to keep yourself afloat and things like that? Or Rich, the cool thing is because um, I'm reasonably well established in jiu-jitsu, most of the places that I go, I could find a jiu-jitsu school and they'd host a seminar for me, you know, nice. um, which would be cool. Um, but you know, my, my online businesses are basically where I make my money. So I, even at this point, I don't really need to do that anymore, which is... What are they? What do you do for online? Uh, jiu Brotherhood is, uh, it's like a, a Jiu-Jitsu portal and we have a lot of um, articles and tips and videos mm-hmm. and uh, that leads to, I have some online Jiu-Jitsu DVDs and books uh-huh. and I've, I've written a book called The Black Belt Blueprint and um, these things all sell online and... and uh, they're doing reasonably well. It's a lot of hard work. I stare at that computer screen for way more hours than of I course. should be. But uh, you know what it's like. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah. roaming through the forest while riding on top of a deer. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, sweet. Yeah. No, yeah, I get it. It's, 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 a, it's a tough gig. I mean, I sometimes, very rarely, but I sometimes think maybe just having a job where someone tells me what to do and how to do it. You know, there, there's something there's something to that. You know, it's not what I want for my life, but there's something to it. Frees up a lot of mental space because you you're sure. not responsible. You know. Sure. That's what um, that's actually what uh, slave owners used to tell to their slaves is like you don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> you have no responsibility. I have to do all the worrying and thinking and planning. It's yeah. like you have it. There's actually a great scene in one of probably my favorite TV show of all times, Rome. The HBO. Never watched TV that, series. Never, but I've heard it's pretty good. I love yes, it. Definitely. I really, it really. Great actors. Yeah, brilliant. Written amazingly well. I mean, even the big, my favorite TV show is bullshit because, of course, on a different day I'll tell you something else. But it's definitely top notch. Well, I heard, top, heard the only uh, problem is that it's full of Italians. I know. That's damn Italians are so fucking. It's like I watch it and I'm like, I just tried to escape from you guys, and here you are again. It's like, no, but there's um, there's a line where if there's a Pompey the Great talking to his slaves, and he's like, how happy it must be. Just no thoughts. You're a slave. They tell you what to do. You do it. Just like driftwood. Not all these. Mm. And you know, there's not even a hint of irony in his speech. There's like he's saying it like he's actually believing it, and is. Uh, but having said that, it, there, I can see, not in a slavery contest, but in the contest you're describing, mm-hmm. I can see sometimes the appeal of simplicity, of mm-hmm. just like not constantly having to hustle and figure out new ways to make something happen. And there is there is something mentally relaxing about that. And of course, after I feel that way, I slap myself <laughs> and go like, you know, don't do that. But, but... It's funny what you say. I mean... When you were talking about that magical VHS tape that made its way, I mean, Mm -hmm. lots of tapes like that used to slowly worm their way around and show up when they were just needed. Now in this age of the internet, everything's so quick and so Mm -hmm. at your fingertips, maybe you don't recognize the gifts when they come by anymore. So that's so interesting you said, Rich, because I've had this thought for a long time, and that is, we we all had tapes, like um, audio cassette tapes when we were a kid. Now, I remember I'd have a mixtape that I had either bought or someone had made for me or I'd made from the radio or whatever and there'd be a song that I wanted to listen to right and I'd have to rewind to get to that song and then play it and there's something I would enjoy just that little bit of that little unit of energy effort that I'd have to expend or that little bit of time that I'd have to wait to listen to that Mm -hmm. track 
made it somehow more satisfying than sticking on your iPod and you can listen to a track instantly as many times as you want. No, there's something mm. really damaging, I think, of having 10,000 songs in your pocket because we, making those mixtapes, there was serious consideration yeah. went down, man, because you might yeah. have two of them with you. So you're talking 24 tracks to get you through this long trip. You better choose wisely. Yeah. And there's something really different to it. It was it was a different time, man. And, sure. and also, like, you would have an appreciation for an album because you would listen to the album you Usually from start to finish. Yep. Whereas now you're just like, I like that song. You take that song. It's, yeah. it's gone. And you don't hear it in the context that the that the musician intended it in, which I, I found quite interesting. Two things I want to throw out there on that. One, as you were talking about the making of the audio cassettes, all yeah. of that, I had the weirdest flashback where I'm in the middle of the conversation and suddenly I am on this beach in the Canary Islands. I'm listening to my Walkman back then. And there are dolphins jumping out of the water. And, you know, I was probably I'm glad I could 11, bring you there. I was like 11 years old, 12 years old, something like that. And I just had, it was like, what the hell? I didn't think about that event probably since I was 12. So the fact that it would pop up in my brain like that, it was so random and weird. But on the other side of it, I think back to that always where we go back to about that fine line. The... Um, that right there is that balance that you are referring to is that balance between on one end, you know, having the choices, you know, given the choice, if somebody told you, you can delete everything that happened in the last 20 years technologically and you go back to the 1980s, none of, you, are, you would be for it. I'd go, that, I'd go right then. I want all yeah. cell phones gone. I think it's really damaging. I, I was about to say nobody in their right mind would ever say that, but of course. I got to say, Richard, but, not a fuck would I do that, bro. Like, yeah, I yeah. like my iPhone and being able to call my family and like listen to a thousand songs. That... I do, do, but the point of the, I guess, the fine line in that regard is both things are, both things are great, is yeah. how you play with them. You know, it's like, because there's something to be said about having too much choice, having everything available at your fingertips, having 500 million TV channels, everything that it makes you kind of lazy sometimes. It makes you kind of not appreciate what you have. It's the same thing as if you're raising kids mm. and you give them everything they possibly can want and there's never a sense of mm. struggle, there's never a sense of working for it. You're not really doing them a favor. So, and, so um, sorry to interrupt you, Daniel. No what, what I find um, interesting is um, it's a... Sp- it's a, a theory or like a, a religious or spiritual viewpoint that um, someone told me a long time ago. I don't necessarily believe it, but it, it made a lot of sense to me. And it basically claims that human beings are infinite spiritual beings that come to earth to experience limitation. Because if you're this amazing, powerful being that's made of white light and that just is in pure joy, pure bliss, can teleport instantly do anything at any time omniscient omnipresent that can get kind of boring so we come here to experience all these limitations and (laughs) that's the beauty of the game right and maybe it's it's kind of tied into what you've just said yeah because you need you need a boat on a cosmic level that would be great if that's how it pans out or in a right here right now kind of level that balance on on one end like with kids you want to be able to give them a lot of choices you want to be able to give them tools to play with at the same time you don't want to make it so that they don't appreciate it anymore Mm -hmm. so again it's that balance between the solution is not let's take away all your toys and go fend for yourself and be tough because it's like yeah you're gonna appreciate everything you get but you're also gonna be fucking mad about everything you've been missing out on 
at the same time, if you hand everything, uh, it's not going to work well because you don't appreciate it. So again, it goes back to that fine balance between, like with technologies, one side of the spectrum, it's true, it's like if you start depending on it so much and you get so used to it and you take it for granted, it's not really good for you anymore. And by the same token, if you completely lack them, you go back to a world that many of us, rich excluded, uh, don't want to be part of anymore because there are so many opportunities mm. that come with the having those things. So it, again, it's like it's never that one is good and one is bad. Mm. It's how you play with them and even finding the the right med- the right combination of medicine between these two opposite things is where it's at, you mm. know, is where you can make it work. So that makes me think of... Um so it's a thought I've had for a long time like, uh, over the last few years, and it's that life is never as it seems. You know, I, I remember as a kid, one example I always use is uh, I had a, a Sega video game system mm-hmm. that my, my parents got me at one point, you know, and... I remember that. You remember that. And so uh, I had a couple By of games... By the way, I would watch other people play it because I didn't have that. Fuck. Yes, but... <laughs> so you had the limitation, right? Yeah. So you were the lucky yeah, one, Yeah, I was right? very... Fun. Yeah, I was so lucky, man. It was great. I remember... Um, I mean, my parents weren't super wealthy, and so getting games was like a, was an issue. Like every right. year, there'd be a couple opportunities, your birthday or Christmas, that you'd mm-hmm. get a game, right? Or maybe two if you were lucky. But, you know, those two games, you would play oh, into yeah. the fucking ground, yeah. and you'd enjoy the hell out of them. And then a few years later, I got a PlayStation, and I figured out that you could put this chip in and play pirated games, right? And then, of course, my buddy gave me a, a little package of like 50 discs of 50 different games and man i didn't enjoy any of them because i'd be playing one of them and i'd be thinking fuck i'm missing out on another one of them yeah, you know and absolutely i think life is is really like that there's another uh, i'm reading this book by gene simmons it's um called me inc mm-hmm. um and it's fascinating he's talking about his childhood and how he grew up there was so dirt poor, poor that like his only toys were a stick and a rock mm-hmm. and he was happy i right. mean like he loved playing with the stick and the rock and I wonder, like, kids today, like, I mean, maybe the kid who's got this room that's filled with everything you could possibly yeah. imagine, maybe he's just bored and he's not extracting the proper experience out yeah. of any of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's tough because wherever you are on that side, you're missing something. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a little of the toys, you're going to milk them for all you can get and that's good. But you're also going to be missing out and be like... All my other friends have that stuff, and it mm. looks so much fun. And you spend days thinking about how it would be much fun it would be to play with that. Yeah. And vice versa, if you have everything handed to you, yeah, you don't enjoy it, and you don't. So it's. So that's why I mean, that's one yeah. of the reasons being a parent is such a difficult job because oh, you yeah. have to figure out what that line is. Yep. And that's not easy. Absolutely. I was actually talking with Dan Carlin about that once, and because he was talking about uh, you know exactly what we're saying you know it's like sometime maybe less is more you know giving less to your kids is more and i was like so how do you i remember asking how do you apply that insight with your daughters you know is that what you do and he's like not even close <laughs> i give into anything yeah. they want all the time and i was like I get it. okay well that works too i guess <laughs> that makes sense. but yeah it's hard man it's hard to find the right i see like a friend of mine was um, on the podcast before um uh, mark chang um i see how he is with his kids especially his um his son uh, who's the older of the two kids and, you know, you see that kid do martial arts and, my God, he's amazing. He's just like, wow. There is that very difficult balance that Mark has to play with, with how hard is he going to push him. 
you know, because he pushes him hard. You know, he definitely on the spectrum, he's one of the guys who definitely is going to ask more, demand more, push the kid harder. There's more of that kind of iron strike, iron vibe of like, you will suffer to come to a good place. You will gain that knowledge, not in necessarily always easy process is going to be tough. But at the same time, he's the first one to know that you can only go so far before you hit a breaking point Mm -hmm. where then the kid is like, you know, he'll do it because he has to, but he'll hate it or, you know, all of that stuff. So it's like, so even that is a very interesting game that, you know, I guess we can all learn from each other in that regard. Like when you see what results one person is obtaining by applying that model, how far they take it and how much maybe is two inches more than you would be comfortable with. And then you say, you know what, actually I could push that and it would lead to good places. And then you see somebody who pushes two inches more yet. And he's like, oh, broke, that didn't work. And the thing that makes it even more difficult is that the same balance is not true for everybody Mm -hmm. because you can push one kid in a certain way that will lead to great result. You try to push another kid the exact same way and you screw everything up. I think the most important thing you can do is just enable opportunities. You know, <clears throat> you don't want to force anybody to play a game they don't want to play. Yep. But you certainly want them to at least go and give it a, give it a try. And I think the worst thing you could ever become is that crazy soccer mom or that baseball dad. You <laughs> are going to do this. Or shrieking yeah. at the umps and things like that. They've lost all yeah, reality yeah. that Look, your kid is not going to be playing for the Dodgers anytime yeah. soon. So let it go. Yeah. Let them play. You know, that's the play and, and the participation and the friends that they make and those sort of things. That's the most important stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I've never gotten – we definitely didn't roll that way. We sort of – made the opportunities available. If you want to try this, we'll definitely let you try it. Mm. But if you are going to, you know, want us to invest in an expensive instrument, you are going to stick with it for a while. Right. You, know, you can't just, ah, two days later, I don't like this. Yeah. I think that's the best you can do. The example yeah. that I that always comes to mind when, I'm, when I think of um, parents wanting the best for their children and maybe pushing too hard is, um, I don't know if you guys have read the book by Andre Agassi called Open. Mm-mm, I um, heard about it, but... Fantastic book. Incredibly powerful. His dad... As a matter of fact, I heard about it from you on another podcast. Oh, yeah. So I was like, I just heard about <laughs> it. Like, oh yeah, that was Nick. This dude's dad takes... Uh, Andre Agassi's dad was so driven and had such faith in his son's ability to become a tennis prodigy and and make money for Mm -hmm. the family that he bought some land outside Las Vegas, some cheap land, and built a tennis court on it and then took one of the the ball machines that – and, like, changed the spring in it or changed the components that it would shoot the balls twice as hard. And in the book, Andre says how he kind of looked at this as, like, a dragon that, like, you know, was shooting fire at him all the time and he was terrified of it. And I wonder – I mean, I know it was probably incredibly traumatic and he lost a lot of his childhood through that. But now he has this empire that not only supports him and his family, but he also has um, a charitable foundation that feeds and Mm -hmm. educates loads of different different children. And I wonder if he thinks back and says thank you to his dad or like, dad, why the fuck did you do that to me? Right. Again, it's probably both. It's probably both. It probably is both. Absolutely. The balance returns. I'm annoyed with it. Fuck the balance. Let's be (laughs) black and white for a while. Just these or that. No more. Give me some strippers and coke. Let's just fucking go all the way to the one side, right? (laughs) Screw this balance business. It's bugging me. Anything you want to throw out there? Anything you're doing? Anything uh, you want people to know about? Um, yeah, I mean, if you're a, a jiu-jitsu guy, go check out jiu and if you are a podcast guy, um, 
please give The Journey a listen. It's at thejourneypodcast.com and you can find it in iTunes by typing The Journey Podcast. It has to have podcast on the end. I heard you had the, like, the most good-looking man in the history of mankind was on your podcast recently. Um, who is that? Uh, Mr. Bolelli Daniele, I believe, was the, the glorious Italian <laughs> who was... We did indeed. In fact, I think that marks a turning point in our show. This is where it's getting serious. And next week we've got on um, Aubrey Marcus. So that's a that's a pretty cool combination. In fact, though, the one we had with you is a two-part one. It's our first two-part yeah. one, um, which Paul and I both loved, by the way. It was, it was very so much glad. fun. That was so crazy because, yeah, we started recording and I was on Skype at home. And they, they were doing some work on the electric lights. They literally cut down the electric connection. So I had to run up to Starbucks, sit in the car with windows up to connect to their Wi-Fi. And it was pretty crazy, but it worked out. Yeah, it was so fun. It was, it was uh, fun. Yeah, man, no, that was great. Too bad that, or maybe it's a good thing that there was no video component to the podcast because otherwise no woman on earth would ever be ever satisfied by another man again. <laughs> so I think I think we played it right. I'm just scared for the day my girlfriend finds out how handsome you are. <sighs> It's like a, it's a course, really. It's it's getting deep in here. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thank you so much. Your Twitter? Um, um, it's at JJ Brotherhood. Perfect. Cool. Easy enough to remember. Great. Thanks, thank you Nick. so much, hey, man. Hey, guys. Thank you, Rich and Daniel. I really appreciate that, guys. Funky music means that's the end of the interview. Nick turns out to be a pretty fascinating dude. Sure is. And again, a guy who's primarily well known for his amazing jiu-jitsu. And of course, because drunken Taoist and eclecticity. Is there even a word, eclecticity? No, there is no such thing, right? You just said it. There the it quality of being eclectic, in any case. Is our bread and butter. We end up barely talking about jiu-jitsu just because Nick is a fun human being to chat with about anything. Yep. Couple of quick things. Taoist uh, lecture series. If you haven't checked it out yet, what's wrong with you? Jesus, I don't know, man. Just download already. Um, thank you to our affiliate sponsor, Coracao Chocolates, Audible.com. If you guys are in dire needs of either audiobooks, mm, crazy healthy chocolate, any of the above, please check them out. Of course, one of the easiest ways to support the podcast and keep us afloat is to use our Amazon link. You guys don't spend an extra cent, and Amazon cut us a check for a percentage of whatever it is that people buy after using our link. And don't forget, go through our website first, click on our Amazon link, and then buy. You can't stack up your cart, cart first, and then it's just one of those little things. Yeah. You'd like to see what you're putting in there. And we know who's buying the flashlights. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I see some stuff people buy. I'm like, that's awesome. That I'm is awesome. It. I didn't know those came in purple. Yeah, I, I don't get to see who buys what, but I get to see what's being bought, and it's pretty hilarious. I love our <laughs> listeners. There's some really interesting taste out there. In, uh... Now, a quick thank you to Daisy House for the intro music, which as usual is like, I freaking love it, and um, has been great. As always, please, please, please visit Kiva.org to give a microloan, help somebody else out in the world. Um People continue to give. The thing climbs and climbs and climbs. It's probably our biggest success. We're going to be at twenty-five grand very shortly in donations, and that's you, our listeners, doing it. 
thanks so much. It really is impressive. And let's get moving now. And by the end of the year, let's see if we can get 50 grand by Christmas. I think we can do it. We already have almost 200 of you donating and helping out. It's a $25 donation. You can send it to a person you like for something that interests you. And then the money comes back, and you donate it all over again. It's quite an awesome process, and uh, it's yeah. really one of the finest charities I've been able to find. Five-star rated for charity uh, up some website I looked up. So they're not too crooked. They got an office. I've seen it. And just to clarify, we have nothing to do with it in the sense that we don't get money. We don't see money. We're just saying it because Because I like cool. it, and I want, them to, want you to help them out, and you do. And it's an awesome exactly. thing. Exactly. So that's... That's absolutely, you know, that's what it's about. Speaking on the other end, more self-interest donations. Ah. Let's say a quick thank you to the noble people who give us some money for something that we give out for free, which is an interesting concept. Hell yeah. So let's go fuck up their names through my horrible English pronunciation. Let the pottering begin. Here we go with Mr. Desmond Colton, John Hatfield, Stephen McL... Okay, let's try that again. Stephen McL... Stephen Mac. How about I could just... Is there a letter Stephen there Mac. you're not identifying? No, it's Stephen McLachlan. Oh, Lach- yeah. Something like that. McLachlan. Uh, Thomas Robinson. My... Oh, Michelle. Michelle is awesome. She's... Um, she has been um, in two of my courses already at Santa Monica College. Michelle Panamenio. Thank you so much, Michelle. She's a great massage therapist. She's an awesome human. And uh, and I think I think she uh, touched base with um, with Mark Chang at some point about trading, uh, like learning uh, some of the stuff that Mark teaches in exchange for massage, which is not a bad trade if you the ask me. The man is known for an awesome grip. Yeah, indeed. Brady Ferguson, uh, John Atbury, Alexander Kozner, David Peterson, Aaron McLaughlin, Chris Talent, and that's going to be a challenge. Alex Baljak. Ooh, I dig Careful it. there, son. Yeah, that's a cool name. A uh, lot of these mm, fine human beings are... Repeat offenders. Now they... let's have a moment to have a chat about that, friends. These fine folks donate over and over and over again. And your hardworking friends here at the Drunken Talus ask one simple thing. And this I take from my friend Duncan. If you are willing to give $2 to Skank of America to get $20 out of a foreign ATM, well, you can toss $2 towards your, your happy-go-lucky friends here out in California. We're almost out of water. It's going to be trouble. Toss us a little appreciation. It's not going to break you. Well, most of you. Well, some of you. Anyway, that's not begging. That's just saying... We're here every 15 days for y'all for almost three years, and we love doing it, and we need some new headphones. So help the kids out. Indeed. And again, you can do that. That's awesome. Can do that. You just want to put reviews on iTunes and uh, use us for Amazon. That's sweet, too. True. Any which way you can do it, it's deeply appreciated. And uh, with that note, I would just say you guys have a great day. Au revoir. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dowage Podcast. 
Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great, it's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and. Uh, uh, your accent, it just. Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me you about. Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly. <laughs> Just as I was saying, you know, Tom's thought. <laughs> That's yeah. not gonna work.